You know, thinking about this topic the last uh, couple weeks, it's been really good for me. I've, uh, I've had step-parents in my life, one who passed away, my stepdad who helped raise me. Uh, my, my stepdad today, Jim, who's been in my life now for well over 12 years. My stepmom, Terry. I've had, I had a lot of people love me in addition to my blood family. I didn't think that emotion would hit me in that song, but it did. Um, but before we jump in too far into blended families, let me ask a question. Raise your hands if, uh, if you have, are a child in a blended family or have step-parents or step-grandparents or you've been through a divorce and you're remarried. Raise your hand along with me. Yeah. I don't know how many people are online raising their hand. Uh, it affects a lot, a lot more of us than we realize. And uh, I just would like to start us off with uh, prayer and also to recognize that today is September 11th and there's a lot of families across the globe that are not going to have some family members to celebrate today with or to be with because they lost their lives. So if you would bow your heads and pray with me, that would be wonderful. God, this, uh, this topic of blended families, as you know, is near and dear to my heart and, and obviously to the audience, so many people that uh, find themselves in the middle of that, that wonderfulness, maybe, and that chaos as well. It's, uh, it's challenging, and it can be very good, as the video showed those two couples. Maybe that's, that's what we all attain to, to have that sort of connection with the other parents or the step-parents or the ex-wife or ex-husband, to wrap their arms ultimately around each other and thank one another for what they do in their children's lives. That's, that's amazing. And we just lift uh, all the people today that lost a family member or a friend uh, in the attacks from September 11, 21 years ago. That you would be near and dear with them today, that they would feel your presence and a sense of peace as they think about and reflect on that day some years ago. And God, we just ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for, for letting me do that. Um, I got to thinking about the prodigal son, which you may not think is too much of a blended family story. It, it really isn't in some, some sense. But the father in that story, the, the prodigal son, if you don't know the story, the prodigal son basically tells his father, I wish you were dead. I want my money. I want my half of the inheritance now. And he leaves. And he ultimately squanders all of that money. Comes to his senses when he's feeding some pigs and saying, I, I can't even eat what they're eating. Why don't I just go home and be a slave in my father's household? I'll just be a worker for him, a slave for him for the rest of my life. And the father just does something radical that we as humans don't understand. I can't understand his unconditional love. I guarantee if my son had left home and done those things, he would have had one heck of a lecture when he got back. And yet... The father in the story that Jesus is telling, this is a fictional story, he embraces him. He says, welcome home. We're going to throw a party. And the son starts to give his little speech, and he doesn't even let him finish because his son once was lost, and now he's found. And when I think about the love of the father there, that's the love that I have felt from my stepfathers and my stepmom. And I know that maybe not always is the case. And the challenge that a step-parent goes through to try and provide unconditional love, that's, that's a big challenge. 
And yet, there's another example in that story. There's the older brother. And the older brother, quite frankly, he's chapped that there's going to be a big celebration and that the younger son's back and they're like, what, you're celebrating his failure? No, we're celebrating that he's home. He came home. And the older brother refuses to go in and celebrate that because he was so self-righteous. He thought that because he stayed home and didn't do all those bad things, that he somehow was better in his father's eyes. And he was just as disconnected as his younger brother was in distance, in emotion. He may have had the position of working for his father and thinking he was doing good, but he was so caught up in his self-righteousness that he missed the connectedness that he could have with his father and with his younger brother. And I think that story might help us to start to unpack how God would have us act as parents and as step-parents towards the children that are in our lives. I want to, I want to draw something up here, or at least write something up here for you. Oop, there's the pens over here. So often, sometimes we, we go to the Bible, very first part of the Bible in Genesis, very first chapter, we, we, get, we get some stories about some people. I'm going, to, I'm going to write their names up here. These people are considered the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Jewish religion and the Christian religion, or our faith, if you are a follower of Jesus. You have Abraham, right, and Sarah, and then they had a child, Isaac, and his wife, Rebecca, spelled a couple different ways in the Bible. And then you had Jacob, and Rachel. And if you just take my word for that and say those are the patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith, you can go, that sounds really good. You can almost feel pretty good about that, right? Wow. These two had, the, had Isaac, he married Rebecca. They had Jacob, he married Rachel. And on the surface, you go, what a beautiful family. Some of you have read Genesis. Abraham was promised by God to have a son. You will have an heir. When he was really old, didn't have any children. So because Abraham was impatient and his wife was impatient, she said, you know what? I want you to sleep with my maid, if you will. A concubine's another word for it. And so he did. He sleeps with Hagar, and they have Ishmael. I probably didn't spell that or I didn't pronounce that correctly. Little side note. Some people say that he is the father of the Muslim religion, at least a prophet. Years later, because they finally do trust God, they do have a child, and that is Isaac. But they took it into their own to do this. It's not such a pretty family, is it, all of a sudden? And once they had Isaac, Sarah was so upset that she said, send them away, which basically was saying, give them a death sentence. Send them out into the desert. Send them away from our family because I don't want them here anymore. And so he does. But God intervenes and, and, and saves both of them. And now in many ways, some of what is Islam and some of what is Christianity both point back to Abraham, but in different ways, one through Ishmael, one through Isaac. It's just crazy to me that some of the people that we look up to 
maybe in our faith. Maybe you didn't know that in Genesis. That's what I do love about the Bible is it shows the truth. It doesn't cut out all the bad stuff because if it did, it would be like six pages long. It would be just what Jesus said and what God said. And all the other people are like, well, you didn't make it. You weren't perfect. Because there are no perfect families because there are no perfect people. There are no first-class citizens because there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom, in God's family. Isaac had a brother. If I can spell it correctly. Esau. Nope, that's wrong. Yeah, that's, that's over here. Sorry, I knew I had that wrong. What I meant to say was, they had Jacob and Esau. And Esau was the older brother. He was the supposed one to get the birthright. Back, back in those days, the first male child was the one that got the, the blessing passed on to them by the father. But these two played favorites. Isaac really liked Esau because he was a hunter and brought him wild game to eat. And Rebekah really liked Jacob because he stayed at home and helped her. And Jacob was a conniver, so he swindled his way into being, to receiving the blessing, to getting the rights of the firstborn over his brother. Huh, sounds like a really perfect family, doesn't it? And then Jacob and Rachel, what I forgot to tell you is, Jacob actually married Rachel's sister, Leah, one week before he married Rachel. And he had to work seven years just to marry her for her, her father. Was it Laban, I think is the way it's pronounced? He said, you have to work for me. And then when he had promised Rachel, the father sends in Leah. So he marries two sisters. Can, can you imagine? Has children by both of them. Rachel doesn't conceive for some time. Finally does. And then if that wasn't enough, each of them also give their maids to Jacob, and he has children by them. And you're like, all right. Is this a TV show? And get this, they have 13 children. 13, 12 men, 12 boys, and one girl. And those 12 become the 12 tribes of Israel, which are mentioned in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Jacob is renamed Israel when he wrestles with God, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And out of that, one of them is Joseph, who gets sold into slavery in Egypt. And then you might know the story about Moses and all that stuff. Another one's name is Judah. And you may have heard Jesus described as the lion, lion of Judah. And you might look up at this and go, so what, Sean? And here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Is God works through our imperfect humanness, our imperfect families, to bring good. And he's been doing it since really early in humanity. There are no perfect families. Even if you're married, you have 2.2 kids and however, you know, it's, that's just not the way it is. We are all imperfect. And sometimes we, we express that imperfection, that brokenness, that simpleness in our relationships. One of those being marriage. Sometimes our marriages end in divorce. Sometimes they end, sadly, in, in a death of a spouse. But out of all of this comes Judah and ultimately comes down and Jesus' mother Mary comes from that line. So God uses imperfect people 
And I just want you to think about that as a minute, for a minute. If you are in a blended family, if you are divorced and remarried, I hope that you don't beat yourself up for that so darn much. The last time I checked this book, that is not the unforgivable sin. And so often, and too many churches treat it like that. I've read a book recently where it said a family came to a church and they said, oh, you can't come here because you're a blended family. And I thought, oh my God, could you imagine a hospital having someone at the door and say, oh, you're sick? You can't come in. And that's exactly what a church would be doing if they did that. And that just pains me to think that. So for all of you who might be hurting right now, whether you're a child in a blended family or you're a parent or a grandparent, I want you to know that God loves you and he will work through you and in you for great things, regardless of your status when it comes to marriage or a blended family or a regular family or whatever that means. Soak that in for just a minute. I got a luxury on Friday morning that uh, I haven't got to do in a long time. My, my good friend Nicholas, he, uh, he is a pilot. He has his civilian flight rating, if you will. And uh, I used to fly in another lifetime. So we went to go fly Friday morning, and we took off out of downtown Kansas City Airport in a little Piper Warrior, which I had never flown in before. And we went out east of town. And the whole time, Nicholas is letting me fly the airplane. I haven't touched an aircraft in, I think, a decade. And I was like, you really trust me over here, dude? But he, he was a gracious friend and allowed me pretty much to fly the entire flight. So about 1.3 hours, we took off. We flew out east, did a couple 360s. And then he's like, hey, why don't we, why don't we head east towards uh, Richmond? He goes, you want to go see, check out Richmond and Lexington? Well, Lexington's my hometown. Richmond, can't say much for. <laughs> Sorry, I looked at my good friend John, who's from Richmond. <laughs> No, we, I, I like Richmond a little. John, that's why I like it. <laughs> so as we're heading east, we're, we're flying near, uh, approaching Oric, Missouri. My, my, my mom, who's watching online, because she and Jim, my stepdad, are homesick today. We're approaching Oric. I, I had this feeling come over me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, there's, there's Oric, Missouri, and that's where my mom used to live, and, and Jim, my stepdad, that's his farm. And, and I'm starting to get my eyes back that I haven't had for 10 years. I'm starting to see things again that I used to be able to see in a small aircraft. And, and we're flying, and we get to Richmond thinking we're going to head back. He's like, no, man, we got plenty of time. Why don't we go over to Lexington? So I fly over Lexington, my hometown. And the last time that I flew over Lexington, my hometown, I was in a fighter or a T-38 trainer aircraft, kind of like a fighter, and I flew right down Main Street at 500 feet. And it was exhilarating. This time, we just did a nice slow turn at about 100 miles an hour over Lexington and the river. And, and it was just amazing. I was like, oh, my gosh, why don't I do this more? And then I realized, oh, it costs a lot to rent an airplane. <laughs> Thank God for Nicholas. But we fly back. He's like, hey, why don't we fly to Excelsior and do a little, do a little touch and go at Mosby. There's, a, there's an airport up near Mosby. We're lining up for that. Eventually, we get there and rolling out on final. And I look out, and I'm like, Nick? He goes, there's, there's, there's vehicles on the runway. I'm like, like lots of them. So I offset, which is something I didn't think about doing for 30 years, but I did. And we fly over, and they are resurfacing the runway. Not a good time to do a touch and go. And you're not supposed to fly over vehicles on the runway because they might be like, what, are they dropping bombs or what? Anyways, all that to tell you, we land back at Kansas City International, do a touch and go, and then a full stop. And 
I was so thankful for Nicholas. But later that day, as I was reflecting on that flight, here's what hit me. We were flying over <laughs> the area. Oh, by the way, we flew back right over Liberty, where I live. And I said to myself later that day, I'm like, you know, well over 30 years of my life, we just flew over where I've spent almost 30 years of my life. And I got thinking about my childhood in Lexington and, uh, and then all over the world and then back to Lexington for high school. I thought about my stepdad, Jim, and Oric and my first stepdad, Tony. And it hit me how much of an influence they've had in my life. I couldn't see my dad in Terry's house, my, my, my stepmom Terry in my dad's house, which is Independence, but it's literally right across the river. I just couldn't locate it. But I, I, I thought to myself, these people have loved me well. Now, two of them, they got to know the older Sean, but the first one, Tony, he got to deal with the younger Sean. And the younger Sean, I think, has changed a little bit, I hope, but Tony dealt with some crap from me. I was two, I think, when my parents divorced. I was four when my mom and Tony married. But I remember we had a great relationship at times, but other times I was a little jerk. I don't know how many times I played this card as a kid. When I was upset or in trouble, I'd say, I'm just going to go live with whoever I wasn't with at the moment. Dad, if I was at mom's, or mom, if I was at dad's. And I got to thinking, my stepdad, he just showed me unconditional love. You want to play darts? Let me show you how to mow the grass. You want to play catch? Oh, you want to go fly in the Air Force? Let me show you how to do that. Because you are too stupid at 17 to figure that out on your own, which is totally true. So I wouldn't have been in an aircraft the other day with Nicholas because I wouldn't have had a desire to fly if Tony hadn't stepped in and said, go this path, do this, do this, do this, and you will go fly for the Air Force. And I just thought to myself, what, what better way to celebrate him than to mention some of that today? And for all of you step-parents out there or watching online, just know that it's not an easy road if you don't already know that. I never thought this. I never thought that you should expect the chaos that can come when you try and blend some families. It's supposed to be chaotic. Think about for a minute what the child is going through. So first of all, if you divorce and you are now dating, the divorce probably brought you some level of happiness, at least at some point, if you wanted it, I should say. And then if you start dating someone else and you begin to spend time with them and connect with them, you see how that's a positive. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm starting to maybe fall in love with this person. All the while, the child is thinking, I want mom and dad back together. What is going on here? It's disruptive to them. And they don't have the minds or the maturity, not that we all do at any age, but at least maybe a little more, to process all that. And so a word that comes to my mind that I think my, my step-parents have modeled to me is patience. You don't, I, I don't know, that video that showed the, the couples, I was like, wow, wow, that's amazing to me to have that sort of feeling towards your ex and maybe your ex's new spouse, the step-parent. But to think about for the kid, to be patient with yourself, first and foremost, and to be patient with the children or the child. That you cannot have an insta-family, that it takes time 
And something hit me this week. This is a phrase that's going to stick with me. Sacrifice position for connection. Sure, you're the parent. You may be the new step-parent. You may be new in the child's life. You are a parent. You're an authority figure at some level. But sacrifice that position for the connection. And the reason I say that is because that's exactly what Jesus did. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, the Bible says. He became a human being and died on a cross for you and I. He sacrificed his position for the connection that he wants with each of us. And, and my thoughts are, if you are trying to be a, a parent or step-parent, really both, but step-parents, the emphasis today, if you try to love someone who, quite frankly, may not be really lovable at times, without trying to get this connected at some level, you got a major uphill battle on your hands. But as you spend time with the Father, you spend time understanding what Jesus wants to do and who he wants to be in your life, if you start getting that kingdom-mindedness centered on him, then your heart does soften. And you begin to see what he did. He sacrificed position for connection. So instead of demanding that they call you this or telling them to go to the room and that or make sure they follow your discipline, you fight for connection. Fight for connection. And keep fighting for connection. And give yourself some grace. Because we don't all do this well. And I, I know there's some situations. I, I've, I've got friends that got some rough stuff going on when, in the blended family stuff. Our men's group yesterday morning, the three of us that were there, we all were talking about, I asked them, I said, you know, I don't know this about you guys. Are your parents divorced or not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what age did they divorce? Oh, I was in junior high. Oh, I was nine years old. The guy that was nine years old, he kind of knew it was coming. He saw some of the fights. The kid that was in junior high said, it, one day, dad just didn't come home. There wasn't a single fight. And I, I mean, I just sat there with him and was like, man, I've just walked another half mile in your guys' shoes. I got to know you a little more. That's, that's why we emphasize groups around here is not so we can all sit there and cry, even though I was crying yesterday morning, but so we can, we can realize we're not alone in this. And we all have pain. And in that situation, all three of us had had our parents divorce. I thought another thing that uh, my stepdad Tony did and and my stepdad Jim has done is they just, they were just persistent. And I don't know if they would say that about themselves, but as I looked back, they were just persistent in trying to love me and show me love and unconditional love. Calling me up, Sean, you want to go fishing? My stepdad Jim does. He took me riding in his tractor. He's a farmer over near Oric, and he took my grandson, Huxley, his great-grandson, riding in that tractor. I mean, that's priceless, priceless time. And he kept trying to orchestrate it. Hey, you want to come ride the tractor? I know Huxley loves tractors. Hey, you want to go antique shopping? Or, or here's the best one, when he just calls me out of the blue. Hey, how are you? What's going on? Huh. Wow. Persistent. I, I know this as a step-parent, uh, mostly from what I put Tony through at times, is that he never let it be personal with him. He knew that when I lashed out, it was because I was in pain or I was fearing something and I couldn't express it well as a whatever I was, six, eight, 
14, 16 year old. I remember moving back. Our family moved all over the world. And I remember my eighth and ninth grade year, we, had, we were living in Mississippi. And my best friend at the time, his name was Andy Blush. I still remember him. We have since lost contact. I wish we hadn't. But when my parents came to me, came to us and said, we're moving back to Missouri, 1% of me said, yay, that's where our family is. 99% of me said, I am not moving again. I moved when, let's see, I did first, it doesn't matter. I moved too many times. And that's a pretty crazy time to move. I had just moved for 8th and ninth grade. Now I'm moving for 10th, 11th, and 12th. Or am I moving for 10th and then 11th and then 12th? I didn't know. But the bottom line is I got in the car and we left Mississippi. And when we got to Missouri, I remember my mom kept saying, hey, we were staying with uh, some family. And she kept saying, hey, we need to go register you guys in school. Now, my older brother was a senior. I can't imagine moving at that time. But I didn't really care about him. I was caring about myself. I was pretty self-absorbed. And I was hurting and when I hurt at that age, I did something. I said, I'm going to make someone else hurt. So I told my mom and my stepdad, I am going to go live with my dad in Blue Springs because I know he's not going to move again before I graduate high school. Now, I didn't know that. And my mom just kind of said, okay. And kind of pushed it away. And I kept saying it a few times. And finally, we find ourselves in the vehicle in my step-grandparents' driveway, I'm in the right seat in the back, my older brother's in the left seat, and my younger brother Jay's in the middle, and we're going to register. And I said, I am not registering today. And my dear mom, if you know my mom, she's so peaceful. She looks at me, she turns around, she goes, you will not break up this family. <laughs> Guess what? I registered for school that day. I think back to that moment. I didn't think, process it at the time of what I was trying to express to them was pain. And the patience that my mom and my stepdad, Tony, at that time showed me. They just persistently said, look, we know you're hurting. We're going to love you through it. They didn't hold that against me. They didn't, I mean, that was, that's, that's the most I think I ever heard my mom raise her voice, by the way. <laughs> She's probably watching online saying that's not exactly how it went down. Here's, here's another word that I want to get with you. Uh, two other words about uh, some P words, if you will. Let's start with P. Prayer. This is something that uh, I, I don't know if we engage uh, enough in our culture. And that is, we're, we're about to face a situation. We're in a situation. And, and we tend to say, well, what do I got to do? What do I got to figure out? We go seek some expert. We might use Google. We may call a friend. And maybe the first thing we should do is just step back and just pray to God, like, God, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to be a stepdad or a stepmom or a stepgrandmom or a stepgranddad. I don't know how to be a stepchild. So, so please move in. Let me feel your unconditional love so that I might try to pass on that unconditional love. And then here's a word that I don't know. I, I'd, I'd love to ask. I can't ask my stepdad, Tony. I will see him one day. I could ask Jim. I could ask Terry. And that is, did they prepare for that moment? So often we, we, we begin to prepare for that second relationship, maybe that next relationship, maybe that next marriage. But we really don't prepare for what that's going to do to two families. 
So I read a book this, this week that, I kid you not, it's called Preparing to Blend by Ron Dill. And if you are in a blended family or you are thinking about remarrying and creating blended families, this is a must read. This is a guy who's done multiple research over the years, worked with so many blended families, and he has chapters that doesn't just end where you read it and go, oh, that's kind of cool. I mean, I underlined some stuff. I dog-eared some. But they have activities at the end of each chapter that I think, oh, my gosh, those are amazing. And the activities are all about creating connection. Connection, both before, during, and after the wedding with the families. Connection. And so two books that I highly recommend. Open this book if you haven't. Get an app if you don't like to hold something that heavy. If you don't like to read, let it read to you. There's several apps out there that let the Bible read to you. I was listening to one the, earlier this week, and I was like, you know what? I, I was like, I don't, I don't want to read right now. I'm just going to listen. Play. There it is. It's, it's amazing the technology that we have. But as you engage some Scripture, you begin to understand more and more and more that you're not any different that the people in the Bible have issues. Some of them have some major issues. Guess what? So do we. And all that's pointing and pointing and pointing to when Jesus walked this earth. And then he ultimately said, I'm not going to stake my position. I'm not going to call down angels from heaven to destroy you. I'm going to sacrifice myself on the cross for connection. And the more often you can do that, the time just spent reflecting on the sacrifice that he made for you because he loves you. It changes you. I know this personally. I can be a jerk. There's another word I was going to use, but I won't use it today. I, I, I have been a jerk. I've been a terrible husband. I've been a terrible father. I've been a terrible friend. And some of that in the last week or two. But I've watched my heart soften as God has wrestled with me because I've wrestled with Scripture. And I see him through that. And I challenge you, encourage you, don't think of this as some book that you got to get through. And it is challenging at times. Think it as a relationship that you can pursue that will change you and transform you in ways you can't even imagine. And I can tell when I'm being transformed as that softening process is happening because I can see the reaction in my family and friends. My wife is paramount and first. I, I can tell right away when I'm being Sean the jerk, Sean the one that's self-righteous, Sean, Sean the one that doesn't need Christ, Sean the one that thinks he's got it figured out all on his own. And she's just like, wow. You, where, where are you, why are you like that? What's going on in your world? And then the other times when I am softened by Scripture, softened by the relationship with my Father in heaven. Prepare is the word that I want you to think about. Prepare yourself and prepare for that situation. There will be disharmony. That is a guarantee in a blended family at some level, some way worse than others. Prepare for it. I encourage you. I don't get any proceeds from the sale of this book. Ron might. He may send it into his, to his church. I don't know. 
And let me just tell you, there's a couple other, there's a website. If you go down to the Insta family little section on our app, there's a website about blended families. I highly encourage you to check it out. Lots of information on there, a lot of free stuff. We have something here at Shoal Creek called Right Now Media that we purchased back in January, so it's good through December, and we may do it next year. I don't know, but there's an eight-week course on basically preparing to be a step-family or being a step-parent. It's free. I encourage you to check all that out. It's on the Insta family section of our app. But prepare, and even if you're right in the middle of it, take a shot, take a look at that. I want to finish up with a couple passages that, that have hit me this week. By the way, Jesus, you could argue, was in a blended family. He had some brothers and some sisters. There's some arguments about all that, but there's clear points in Scripture that says, yes, one of them is named James. So let let me paint just a real simple picture here. Jesus being the oldest, James, I don't know how much younger he is than Jesus, but can you imagine they sit down with eight-year-old James to talk about Jesus, and they're like, hey, well, your brother... He hasn't gotten into trouble as much as you. You know, his birthday, there was like a star and some shepherds and some wise men that showed up offering some frankincense, some gold, some myrrh. You know, your aunt and uncle only got you a goat. I mean, uh, seriously, I think if my older brother was the Messiah, I would be like, you got to be kidding me. And you know what? Darren would say the same thing about me. And we'd both say the same thing about my younger brother, Jay. And he would say the same thing. It was like, wait a minute, I, I grew up with you. How can, how can that be? But I just wonder what it had to be like growing up in that household. Where Jesus, his father, was God. And, and, and they didn't say happy birthday to him. They said, Merry Christmas. I mean, what? And so I, the reason I tell you that little fun stuff is that James has a book in the Bible where he writes. And I want to read that passage, if you would bring that up. Sounds good. I got it right here. There it is. I'll let you guys read it up there. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the brother of Jesus. And I think that that advice to step families, to step parents, that you are going to have disharmony in that home. I can't imagine a child. I have a really close friend whose child goes away for one week to his mom's and then comes back to my buddy's house. And, and just moving stuff and feeling a little bit dis, out of place at times. And the, the first couple days of readjusting, that's hard. And that's going to be hard. And it's hard for everybody involved. But God says, look, I can work in the mess. I have worked in the mess for millennia. And I still work in messes. Expect disharmony. Prepare for it. Pray about it. Be persistent. Be patient with yourself and with your family members. And know that peace can come. It may be longer than we want to wait for. But God says, look, I have your best interest at heart. And he includes step-parents in that. 
about 10 days ago, I was uh, reflecting on this passage, or reflecting on this message, and to be honest with you, it was, I wasn't really getting a lot. And a passage that, I, that started to play in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that, I remember that, what is that, what is that? And that's the beautiful part about Google. And I knew it came from Revelation, but I couldn't pinpoint it, so I Googled it, and I want to bring that passage up to you so that you can read it along with me. This is Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great war, roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. If you'll leave that up for me. Here's the thought that I had about that passage. God's family, the family he has been building, the family that he is building is the biggest blended family ever. Think about that. Every nation and tribe and people and language, black, white, yellow, brown, red, purple, blue, I don't know, green. God forbid there are Democrats and Republicans in that crowd. <laughs> that, is, that is a crowd that is described in the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. That is in the future. God works in the mess. There are rich people, there are poor people. There is someone from the worst, your, your worst enemy, probably in that crowd, and you can be in that crowd. All of them worshiping God and the Lamb, which is Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb on the cross. And that just hit me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's, that is a blended family reference right there. That is a beautiful picture of what was chaos, but because of the transformation God can allow us in our life, can give us in our life if we would accept his invitation to just follow him, to trust him. And that takes failures throughout our lifetime. That we can be a part of that great sea of people from everywhere on this planet. What a blended family that is. What a glorious, beautiful picture that is of family. Full of grace, full of forgiveness, full of love, full of patience, full of peace. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for that picture in Revelation that can give us some sense of hope that your will would be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And we, the church, and I mean the people, we are the group that you've asked to bring a little bit of heaven to earth. And for those of us that are in a blended family or we have step-parents or step-grandparents or we are step-parents or step-grandparents, help us see that we are not excluded from that grace that you work in everyone's brokenness if we will just offer it to you and receive forgiveness. God, I thank you for the people in my life, Tony and Jim and Terry. The world calls them step parents. I just call them loved ones. 
And I know that took some patience and persistence and some prayer and some peacefulness on their part to love a child who was, quite frankly, difficult to love at times. And for that matter, a man, that is. So I pray that you move in everybody that's here today, especially those that are hurting because of these type of situations, that they would offer that pain up to you, that they might share that with a friend, and that you would help us all to sacrifice the positions that we think we need to hold, even the position of rightness in our life for connection with another, especially in these blended families. Thank you for Jesus for his sacrifice, for his willingness to step out of heaven into our junk, into our chaos, so that we could connect, reconnect to you. Amen.